attracted you to the Angels in 2000? Because they were coming off of their one of their worst seasons as a franchise. They only won 70 games. Here's exactly what happened. I opened the door to get a glass from my cabinet. Angelitos and welcome to Halos in the Infield. My name is Fernando. Now, I'm responsible for all but one of the interviews we've ever gotten. And long-time listeners know we've gotten like 30 interviews by now. But this one is extra special. Because Scott Spezio, yeah, the Scott Spezio that hit arguably the biggest home run in Angels history joined the show to talk about that home run and what led to that exact moment. Did you know that he went through hypnosis? to calm his nerves down for moments like that it was just second nature to him he was cool as a cucumber and you're going to learn about that and so much more in this interview the team is obviously not performing the way we want right now so we can either sit around here and talk about what's going wrong or all that boring stuff but we've wanted to add an extra flair so over the last couple of weeks we've interviewed frankie kazarian victor rojas and now the Scott Spezio. But before we get into the interview, just one more thing. Let's relive this moment in Angels history together. Ortiz has just received the game ball from Dusty Baker. The Angels are down five runs with eight outs to go. The Giants locker room is getting ready to celebrate a World Series title because the Angels weren't even a speck on the radar at this point. Scott Spezio steps up to bat to face Felix Rodriguez. After a lengthy at bat, it is now a full count. Halo fam, welcome to the most important moment in Angels history. Big pitch coming up. Rodriguez sets the 3-2 pitch. is belted to right field. Back on it goes Sanders at the wall. He can't get it. Home run. And welcome everybody to Halos in the Infield. Uh, I am Fernando Mendez, uh, leading the charts today. I'm joined here by Todd, and I am joined by Swilly, who you guys are starting to get to know. Um, and we are joined here by a very special guest, Scott Spezio. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Nice to be with you guys. Yeah, Thank yeah. You thanks so for much, joining Scott. us. Oh. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's always, always fun talking about baseball. Scott, this is Todd. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, I probably had some of my best memories watching that 2002 World Series and your career with the Angels, although it was only four years. But we had a blast with you here. I mean, for me, I thought you had your best numbers here. Um, so I got a ton of questions. Yeah. I'm going to be a fanboy, a part of this uh, podcast today. So sorry if – sorry in advance. <laughs> No problem. No problem. I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, it's where I got the most consistent playing time. And, uh, you know, I had a, 
a great group of guys, a great coaching staff. The fans were incredible during that time. And, um, and of course, we got we got the only championship for the Angels that year, and and it was my first championship. And so um, it was it's it'll always be a special time, a special town, and a special place for me. All right, so don't worry. We're definitely going to talk about the 2002 team. Obviously, that's what you're, you and the rest of that team is known for, like you said, bringing the only championship here to the Angels. But um, I real quick want to talk to you about what it was like playing for Morris High School. So you lettered in baseball. You were an all-star and an MVP for the uh, school that year. How was playing yeah. high school baseball in a state that at that time might not have been known for baseball? You know, Illinois has kind of always been like a football state. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my hometown is, uh, is known for football, not for baseball. Uh, although we, you know, I was the first major leaguer, um, three years later, there was another major leaguer named Kelly Dransfelt that ended up playing, uh, I don't know how long he got in maybe a year or so, um, with the Rangers and the Chicago White Sox. And then a few years after that, Billy Petrick was a pitcher, um, out of Morris high school that ended up uh, getting a, getting a few a uh, few relief roles um, with the Cubs, so we've got three major leaguers that have come out of there. But I was the first, and and uh, and they also they also had two state championship teams uh, when there was only two two classes, one A and two A, and so uh, we did all right. Um, and so like it 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 definitely was crazy for me to be one of those guys that was you know only focused on on baseball and everybody else was you know wearing their football jerseys on friday nights and and uh my dad wouldn't let me play football even though i loved football um he made me play golf so when everybody else was bringing in their you know wearing their jerseys i was bringing in my golf clubs and kind of felt nerdy but uh you know it's funny everybody everybody's playing golf now and nobody plays football once you get older so <laughs> i i got a jump start <laughs> on my retire my retirement do you play uh, golf with the o with anybody from the O2 team often? Um, well, we just had our 20-year reunion, and we had a golf outing. So um, we were all out – well, not everybody, but it was, a, it was a lot of us that were there for that um, that ended up playing an outing out uh, in Pelican Hills. And so that was pretty cool. Um, but, uh, I, you know, when I was with the Angels, I didn't play golf that much. Actually, my whole career, I didn't really play golf that much. I always, I always wanted to save my energy. Uh, you know, I always say the starting pitchers did because you know they, they had to work once every five days, so they, they could handle that stuff. <laughs> you know, us guys that had to play every day, it was a little tougher to get out there early in the morning and and play. Um, but I, I enjoyed playing when I was younger and in, in high school, and then in the off season and stuff like that, and. Uh, I don't play as much as I, I'd like to, but I still enjoy it here and there. I just got out with my oldest son the other day. He he is uh he's twenty two, um, heading back for his last semester of uh of college um this fall. So it's fun get, getting out of the course every once in a while. What's he majoring in? Uh he's he's his school is called Williams College in Massachusetts. It's with uh, the conference Amherst and stuff like that. It's uh, it's a very good academic school, uh, Division three. Um, he's his. They don't have that many majors. He's majoring in history, but what he's going to go into is consulting. 
Um, he's already worked for a company called BTS in Chicago this off season. They offered him a job. Um, and so he, he might be back there this, uh, this fall, but he's also going to look for other opportunities. If somebody offers him a better paying job or a, a better job, he, he might take it, but it, it's cool to see him that he's always wanted to go into the business field and, and, uh, he, he he had a great experience out there. He actually played two years of baseball and, and four years of football out there. So it was kind of fun to watch his career there too as well. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Julie, Todd, do you guys have a question before I keep going? Yeah, I'm nosy. What's your golf handicap? <laughs> I don't think I play enough. I don't play enough to have one anymore. <laughs> Although I, I, I've played two rounds where I wasn't in a scramble. So I think I played five times this year okay. and three of them were in a scramble. Okay. The one time I shot uh, 79 and okay. one time, the last time I shot, I think I shot 85. So not too bad. Not you know? too bad at all. Um, yeah. When I was in high school, we only played nine holes. I think my average was right around 42 and a half or something. So, you know, somewhere, somewhere between 84 and 85, you know, was that's usually where I'm at. I don't play enough and practice enough to expect to, to shoot in the low seventies, you know, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be somewhere in the upper seventies to the upper eighties usually, you know, which is that's not bad. Fair. Pretty good. Yeah. I give you props for that. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, and I used to be able to crush it. I used to be able to. I mean, I hit. I'd hit some greens. I'd drive greens that were, you know, three eighty-five. You know, even hit some Jeez. close to four hundred. But yeah, I used to crush it. And now I've had two two hip replacements, and you know, if I really get into one, I might hit one three ten, three twenty, but now my son, he's he's a monster. He's six five, two fifty. He he hits him like I used to, and so it's fun to live through him now. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. a poor ball. Yeah, yeah, right. I think all parents <laughs> will agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He broke it. He actually broke his split his driver in two the other day, and that was oh the second gosh. time he's done that. Jeez, yeah. uh, what crazy. brand was it? Uh, I can't remember. It's one of the big brands. I don't know if it's, I don't okay. want to say it over. It's like, but what if it, yeah. I know his okay, irons I was are like, Mizuno. Is I'm it not a... sure about his, his, I know his irons are Mizuno and it's one of the big brands and I don't, I'm not exactly sure. So I don't want to say, but I know he actually bent his, the hosels on his um, irons too. And they were pretty new and he sent them to the company and they sent him a new set and said they were going to study them for research. <laughs> oh my God. So he hits the ball pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So uh, describe to me how it was to come up in Oakland's system. You were drafted by the A's. Uh, yeah. They've had a reputation for developing talent, you know, their own talent for years. They've been one of the best organizations in baseball for, you know, my entire life. And I'm sure everyone's here. Uh, so what are some of the aspects that Oakland really helped develop your game that you use for the rest of your career? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, as you get older, you start appreciating things a little bit more. 
And when I was with Oakland, I, you know, I was mad that they kind of, they kind of tried to make me miss arbitration my last year. Um, and then, you know, I, I ended up being a super two and then I, that's how I became a free agent and went to, to Anaheim. But as I look back on it, I mean, I understand that there's situation, you know, you see Moneyball and you see that Billy was working, Billy Bean was working with a small budget. And so you can see why they were trying to, you know, hold on to guys longer and, you know, why sometimes they'd have to let guys go. And, and, um, you know, in my case, it actually worked out for me. So looking back, I, I, I think about that all the time. I was really lucky. I got, um, you know, I was drafted in the sixth round. They sent me, uh, they didn't want to give me much. So um, I ended up, you know, this was after my junior year. I ended up saying, oh, fine, I'll go to uh, Cape Cod. And then I'll just play my senior year. So I went to Cape Cod and I was raking and, um, and uh, uh, when I was out there, uh, they put me in the outfield and I saw I was playing some different positions. And finally, I think Oakland thought and said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll give you what you were asking for, which wasn't a ton, but you know, it was better than what they first started out with. You know, I think the, they first started out with some McDonald's gift certificates. And finally, you know, <laughs> finally, they said, <laughs> finally, they gave me some substantial money where, you know, I could actually do some things and, and, you know, cause you're only going to be making, you know, nine, 850, 900 bucks a month when you're starting. So it at least helped me get through the minor league time where I could supplement my income. And, uh, and they, they paid for my schooling, which I never went back and did, which I should have. But the first place they sent me was Medford, Oregon, and short season A-ball. And my coach was named Dick Scott, and he, he came up through the A's organization. And he was a, a really good shortstop, but unfortunately, he was stuck behind a guy named Mike Bordick, who was a, a heck of a, a shortstop. So I was lucky enough to have a really good infield coach. And I'd say that was probably the, the place where I lacked, um, you know, the skills that I needed to play every day in the major league level. So he really helped me um, turn my third base play around, my throwing accuracy, my hands. Um, and I was lucky, even though within like a month or so, or maybe a month and a half, I, I went from there to skipped over everything to high A Modesto um, because Jason Giambi had broken his hand and they needed a third baseman. So I, I skipped up to Modesto and ended up finishing the year there and got some nice experience, you know, uh, facing probably the best talent I had ever seen um, besides maybe the Cape. And, but I'd say the most consistent good talent that I had ever seen. And uh, the next year, um, Dickie Scott moved up with me. And, and then we played that whole year, had a great season. He helped me. Uh, the next year, he, he moved up with me again in double A. And so uh, I had some rough, just rough spots. You know, I'd still made some errors, but I started getting better and better. Um, and then AAA was, you know, I was only in, in the minors for, you know, three years, just over three years. And then after my, my uh, AAA season, when we won everything and I got hot in the playoffs and hit six home runs, um, they brought me up late September. And, and then I, I ended up staying on, but, um, I would say Dickie Scott was a huge thing. They also, right away after that first, you know, short season, 
um, they brought me to instructional league and uh, Keith Whitman and Ronnie Plaza. And there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of great coaches there that really helped me with all aspects. We also had Carl Keel and Harvey Dorfman there who wrote the, uh, the mental game of baseball book. And so I was always into the mental game. And so it was really cool to talk to those guys who kind of wrote the, the mental game Bible for baseball. Uh, that guys still use today and and uh, so development wise they were really good and then when I got brought up to the big leagues um, that spring training Art Howe you know two about two and a half weeks ago in spring training Art Howe in 97 which was my rookie year um, and I was just trying to make the team as an extra or something and Art Howe says hey can you play second base and I lied and said oh yeah I played all the time <laughs> I played three games <laughs> Yeah, I played three games in American Legion ball, uh, but I did practice with my mom, like playing second base and my dad, you know, hitting the ground balls and I'd make feeds and, and turns and stuff when I was young. And so I, I, I did have some knowledge of all the positions except for catcher, basically. And um, so that really helped me in my career because I can move from place to place. Um, but the biggest thing I'd say is, is um, you know, Art Howe believed in me that I could do it because he said he did it and he was a bigger guy playing second. And I had uh, Ron Washington, who's probably the, still the best uh, infield coach in baseball, Major League Baseball. And he taught me how to play second base in about two weeks. And I ended up leading the league in fielding percentage. I had only seven errors and 140 games or something like that and or maybe 145 games I can't remember how many games I got hit in the hand and missed of like 15 days or something but um, I think I was second in double plays turned and second in total chances I should have won the gold glove but they gave it to Nabok even though he had uh, like 13 airs on turf <laughs> but you know it was it, hey turf's hard really, turf's very hard <laughs> yeah yeah uh but uh yeah, they they did a really good job of developing me. It was it was tough. Um, it was tough, you know, the because their philosophy was one of seeing pitches, and uh, you know, not really being super aggressive. You know, they were like, let's get you on base, let's let's tire the pitcher out, let's get the starting pitcher out. And I was more of a guy that if I saw a strike, I was really gonna be aggressive at it, and so. Everything was good. I got playing time there. I got brought up pretty early. I got, they did a great job of mental and physical development. Um, the only thing was the, the hitting philosophy was a little different than I was used to, but in turn, it made me a really good two strike hitter. So um, there's a lot of things that, that I, I got to give credit to the Oakland A's for. And, and then when I was able to get to the angels, you know, Sosha was the guy that wanted you to be aggressive. So, it was, it was like, that was a perfect spot for me to be um, after learning some of the things that I learned from, from the A's. I love hearing that you really enjoyed the mental part of the game. Do you think that gave you like a really big advantage, especially in those tough spots when you were in the playoffs and went to the world series? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I actually, um, I started giving lessons. I built a facility for myself in 2003 after the World Series so I could kind of practice wow. in my hometown. And be, yeah, and, and I, I did it so that I could um, concentrate more because after the World Series, 
like things started getting kind of crazy and and so it would take me you know hitting would take me three hours instead of one hour lifting would take me two hours instead of you know an hour uh so so i i I made a weight room for myself. I, you know, I had a, a hitting cage and then a full court basketball court so that I could take ground balls and, oh, and wow. play three on three for, for agility and stuff. And I still have it. So I started giving lessons. And one of the big things I talk about, I always say that I need an hour the first day just to talk about the mental game and, yeah. and then talk about approach and mechanics. But my dad, you know, played <laughs> Uh, for nine years in the big leagues and went to three world series and cardinals and, six, and won it in 64 and 67 lost in game seven and 68 um but he he always i think he was ahead of his time with the mental game so like you know 12 years old i was already listening to subliminal um tapes that you know would would teach me how to to self hip you know hypnotize myself um wow. you know at night yeah and so i would I would lay in bed. I I do deep breaths, you know, in through the through my nose for seven seconds, hold for two, out of my mouth for eight, um, slow my heart rate down, and then kind of release negative energy, fill my body with like white positive light energy, and then I'd start, um, you know, I'd 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 start basically visualizing myself over and over having success and. Um, and, and, you know, that I did that my whole career and everything. So, like, if I was shooting free throws, I'd be shooting, you know, if I was playing basketball, I'd shoot oh. free throws and do that. You know, if I was golfing, I would, you know, make putts and, and hit shots. And so I got really good at visualization and preparing the day before because your subconscious mind can't tell the difference between a real or imagined image. So Absolutely. I would always, yeah, so I, I would always, um, visualize myself succeeding and, and it would build my confidence. And not only would it build my confidence, but it would make me feel like I had already been in that situation a million times. So I would do that, um, you know, with the playoffs and throughout my career, even in the minor leagues, I went off in the playoffs, you know, at the major league level, I think I had 25 RBIs in 26 career games. And um, I never felt pressure. I, I always remembered, you know, watching like George Brett and he'd always say in the playoffs, everybody else tries harder. I try easier. So that was my approach. And I always felt like I was in control and I slowed the game down. So yeah, the mental game was huge for me. I always tell the kids, you know, um, you know, you can't get too high or too low. This game is, is all about dealing with failure. If you, if you fail 70% of the time, you're great, you know? Absolutely. And, and so you got to have clear keys. Um, when things go wrong, I would have certain things. I'd throw my bat, wipe it, and that was my delete key. And then when I hit it, it was kind of like my reprogram. And it was just me and the ball. There was nobody else in the stadium. And, and uh, so I kind of go through my game six of bat and, you know, and I'd, I'd tell them how, you know, it was kind of like the natural slow motion, you know, when I got to first base. And then as right. the ball went over the fence, that's the first time I heard the crowd. And, and <laughs> once I got in the, yeah, once I got in the dugout, I had so much adrenaline. I had to slow myself down and, and calm myself down because I knew my next bat might be huge. And right. so I, I, I kind of go over stuff like that with the, with the, with the kids. And, and, uh, you know, I tell them that there was a lot of guys in the minor leagues that were way more talented than me. And, uh, you know, 
the reason I stayed in the big leagues for 12 years and, and if, you know, if I didn't start being stupid at the end of my career, I probably could have played another five or six years um, was because of my mental training and, and basically trying to stay level as much as possible. Wow. Now we're going to get to that moment for sure in 2002. <laughs> uh, Swilly, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that's amazing to hear from your perspective because yeah, I feel like in this age of baseball, um, you know, the mental game, visualization, controlled breathing, that's so important. And I think that kind of, you know, can make make or break somebody's career if they do want to play professionally. So I just think that's really cool to hear that you were able to master that because visualization, it sounds easy, but it is so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. So it's, 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 just, it's really cool to hear that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is it is hard. Um, it's a skill and, and the more – the more you do it, um, the better you get at it. And, uh, you know, you can start doing different angles and stuff. But what I always tell, what I always ask the kids, I said, have you ever heard that the game is 90% mental? And most of them are like, yeah. And I said, well, how much do you spend on it then? How much do you right. spend on the mental game? And most of them say zero. Yep. So, you know, that's like when I was with the Angels, I actually hired a guy named Pete Siegel um, who worked with, kicker you know nfl kickers with um with boxers with power lifters i'm sure if you looked him up on youtube you could find him he was kind of a fiery guy and uh, i spent 20 grand a year to work with him um even though i could do it myself i really wanted to focus more and mm -hmm. so um him and i would work um after the game for about an hour and then I do my own stuff, you know, after that, before I went to sleep. And then a lot of times on the road, I wore headsets and would do stuff, you know, prior before leaving for the park. And there was, there was uh, most homestands, we would meet at a hotel right next to the stadium there in, Ange in Anaheim and go through a whole, uh, you know, um, sports hypnotherapy session. And uh, so I spent a ton of time on it and it definitely helped absolutely paid off that's so crazy yeah, to hear that's for sure just because it's like something that like i've never heard before but it obviously it worked for you oh yeah yeah i think there's quite a bit of players that do it um you know i know that you know you think of sports like golf and and uh you know like field goal kickers a huge one you know you've got oh, a yeah. really You've got the, you, you might not even get in the game, you know, besides maybe a couple extra points, maybe not even that. And all of a sudden you're kicking for the win. You know, it could be a playoff game right. and you miss it. You're the, you know, people hate you forever. <laughs> Everyone hates you. you. Know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of pressure there. You know, I, for me, that's another thing too. Like I, I dealt with pressure pretty, pretty well. My dad always told me, you know, um, you know, you're, you're, you're playing a game. You know, these aren't bullets flying at you. Pressures if you're in, you know, if you're in Ukraine right now, dodging bullets, like that's pressure. I always felt like if I could, if I could deal with the worst case scenario, let's say game six, I struck out. Would I still have a job? Yeah. Would I still have a family? Yeah. Would I still be alive? Yeah. So I think I'd be okay. But when you take off the pressure, like that, and you think of it like that, there is no pressure, you know, um, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to be prepared for that kind of stuff and to put your mind at ease and, and feel like you've already been there. And when you feel like you've already been there, then that takes off pressure too. So 
the more the more things you can work on and i think i think the mental game and visualization is is huge and i think there's a lot more people that use i, I see the olympic people using it all the time especially mm -hmm. like uh diving <laughs> uh, here goes the dog <laughs> <laughs> the, the divers and, and uh the uh like snowboarders that are doing all those crazy tricks and stuff and, and stuff like that so, um yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff, and and you know not everybody buys into it, but I think it's it's very helpful if, for people that actually put the time into it. Well, it clearly worked out for you. So, um, in yeah. two thousand, you signed as a free agent with the Angels, as you said, and that's really where your career started to to fully take shape, and you really started having some long term success because, like you said, you got to play consistently for um, seemingly, you know, uh, the first time in your career. Uh, so what attracted you to the Angels in 2000? Because they were coming off of their, one of their worst seasons as a franchise. They only won 70 games the year before you joined the team. Yeah. So what attracted you to Anaheim? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, just to be blatantly honest, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Uh, basically, well, when you said I was going to be uh, honest, I was I like, think, oh, was it the money? <laughs> no, well, no, not really. Um, the weather? So, yeah, well, I did like that. But, um, I, I mean, I always liked it. I always liked the Southern California, that's for sure. It was it was a lot better, a lot nicer than, you know, the Bay Area as far as weather-wise. And I, I always liked yeah. the Angels Stadium. Um, and I, and I, I like Disney. <laughs> too i like this i always i loved growing going to Dis disneyland and disney world when i was a kid so uh, but uh you know i started off really good rookie year with with oakland the, the next year i i tore my meniscus in my knee i still had a decent year but you know like it kind of it took me a long time to get that strength back in that leg and then that third year when I thought I was ready to actually have a great year, that's when they started playing Tony Phillips and not me as much and kind of manipulated my playing time. And, and so um, I, I really thought that I could have had, you know, had I not got hurt and had that, I would have, you know, had that all that time for three years, I could have put up some really good numbers, but it didn't happen. The good thing is, you know, I, I was a free agent and my agent at the time um, said that the, the Henshin Tigers, of Japan wanted me for like, you know, a two-year deal for like $2.2 million or something. And to me, I was like, oh my God, that's, that's crazy money. You know, I could live the rest of my life on $2 million. And, um, you know, my dad's like, well, yeah, maybe, you know, and, and so I talked to them and then the Cubs came and offered me a, a deal and then the Angels came. So it was, it was basically the two teams that had basically the same money on the table were the Cubs, which is an hour from my house or uh, the angels or Japan for, you know, 2.2 million plus a buyout. Um, and so I just kept thinking it over and stuff. And, and here's exactly what happened. I opened the door to get a glass on my cabinet and there was an angel cup there. It, and I don't know how it got there. I have no idea to this day how it got wow. there. But I grabbed it and I looked and I said, wait in the heck? And, and I said, that's got to be a sign or something. So I picked the angels. I, I don't, I based on a cup. Wow. <laughs> that's out of a movie. That's amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it, it worked out for the angels and you yeah exactly and you know what's funny like fast forward to to um like it was in early uh, february 2006 and i you know i got released from the mariners the year before and i'm thinking you know i'm i'm gonna be shy of 10 years uh you know playing time and um and and my career is over and i'm laying in my bed and i keep hearing this thing hit my window and i look out and it's a cardinal and i'm like oh my gosh what the heck is this thing doing <laughs> and, and within it. hours yeah within hours my agent calls me and this thing was there for for a couple days too and my agent calls and says the cardinals want to invite you to, to spring training i'm like are you kidding me like this, <laughs> this cardinal has been knocking at my windows I go upstairs, you'd be upstairs. I go downstairs, you'd be hitting downstairs. And I'm like, this is nuts. So yeah, I, I guess I'd have somebody up there that's telling me which teams to go to because it led to two World Series, <laughs> you know. Hey, hey if uh, if you ever get a random assortment of numbers in front of you, let me know just in case it's lottery numbers, okay? Just in case. Right? Yeah. yeah. That'd be nice. I'll share. Yeah. I'm a, I'll share. Yeah. Or you can just yeah, be selfish one... and not tell me. <laughs> That that one uh, lotto that just hit the mega ball or something a few months ago that was like one point two billion or something that was not too whoever won was not too far from here, um, but they haven't claimed it yet. So I don't know maybe that oh. ticket will fall in my lap. There you go. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was in they, Memphis yeah. and I had bought it. I bought a ticket in Memphis that day, and like three days before that, I was in Chicago and I bought a ticket in Joliet, really? and I was like, was that mine? <laughs> but no, it was a different city. Yeah, yeah, it was just yeah a little bit further than that. Yeah, yeah, I wish it was me. We played, but it was funny because everybody in my family played, and I think the av like the average, if we spent twenty bucks each, we had like two numbers or something total. <laughs> we were awful. I mean, not <laughs> even close. Fair enough. Um, well, Scott, I wanted to ask you. Um, in 2001, um, I know you guys finished way behind the Mariners, but a lot of the players have been saying, I don't know if you have the same feeling, that that team was getting somewhere. They were doing something and working towards something. Did you have that vibe when you were playing in 2001? Yeah, I, I felt that we we always had a good team and, and we just had to put it all the pieces together, you know. Um, I thought that like I said, I thought those and the coaching staff were, were phenomenal. Um, the team really gelled well. You know, Joe Madden was always a preacher of, you know, if you play as a team, your individual numbers will be better. You know, he, he, he talked about the jugs, you know, the jug runs, you know. Um, Social was always trying to keep us on our toes and, and have fun, you know, in spring training and, um, we got our work done, but we had fun along the way, and and each every guy on the team respected each other, and we knew we had something special. But you know, we you never know how special it's going to be um, until you start start it all starts you know falling together, and that was pretty much in 2002. You know, after we all fi finished our suspensions early in the season, and then we started <laughs> playing well. <laughs> 
Yeah, you guys, um, you were always like a really good contact hitter for the Angels. You got, like you said, the most playing time in those four years of the Angels. Um, how much do you pride yourself that you didn't strike out more than 65 times? Going, uh, you know, going by how the players will strike out like more than 100 times and be like, well, I had a good season. I mean, you were putting up really, you know, really good numbers and the strikeouts were way down. How do, what do you attribute um, your success with the least amount of strikeouts and, and making so much contact? Yeah, I hated to strike out. I thought it was a waste. It drives me crazy watching these guys strike out so much now. <laughs> I mean, oh, same. Um, you know, we, yeah, uh, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, I, I mean, we could talk about that forever. And usually the alumni, that's what we do. <laughs> we, we complain about it. But I mean, not to say there's not great hitters. You know, we love watching, you know, Atani and, and Trout. And, you know, there's some guys that you expect back to strike out, you know, hey, if, if you know, Troy Gloss is going to go out and strike out, but fine, I'll take that. You know, we're, we're trying to get on base to get him to drive us in, you know. If move on strikes out, we don't care, you know, uh, Tim Salmon. But, you know, there's guys that you need to try to get on base, and when you get two strikes that you just kind of choke up and try to put the ball in play and make something happen. And that's what I felt my role was, and I think we had a lot of guys like that on that 2002 team that were very unselfish and, and uh, even our big guys, if they needed to get a guy over, you know, they did it, you know, and, and it led to, you know, we had, I think one of those years we had five guys that had over a hundred RBIs. I think Erstad was even one of them um, as a leadoff hitter, which is crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I prided myself on not striking out. My, my dad and I used to hit a lot with little wiffle balls and a little bat. And then also most of my BP was with little tennis balls. So I, in order to hit those hard, you had to hit them right on the screw and they're smaller. So I think I've, I've very rarely swung and missed um, balls. And, and so, um, yeah. And, and also with the A's, they didn't, they wanted you to, to walk more than strike out. So right. through my whole minor league career, that was my mindset. And, and I, I think it made me a better hitter. Um, you know, and I think it it, it definitely uh, made me more of a clutch hitter because I, I never feared with two strikes. I always knew that. I trusted that my hands, if the ball was close to the plate, my hands would get the barrel of the bat to the ball. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Todd Fox here. Do you want a cash offer for your house? Fair price for your house buys homes no matter the condition of the home or circumstances. Whether you're getting a divorce, need extensive repairs, or behind on your payments, Fair Price for Your House will give you the cash offer within 24 hours of receiving your info and pay you out in as little as seven days. No agents, no commission, no hidden fees, and best of all, no obligation. So now I'm just thinking, what the heck are you waiting for? If you're interested in finding out what your house cash offer is, give them a call now. Get your free no-obligation cash offer. The number is 562-455-7154. Once again, it's 562-455-7154 and tell them Todd Fox sent you. Hey, 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 it's Todd Fox from Halos in the Infield. Have you ever thought of owning your own Amazon store? Amazon is making a killing nowadays. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about people making additional income through Amazon. 
And that's what we all need to do, especially with the price of gas soaring, food prices on the rise, and the economy taking a fall. So why not make some extra money? So there's this company I know about called Riley Ecom who can help you set your own store up without having to spend hours learning how to run it. They do everything for you. So if anyone is interested in knowing more about owning an Amazon store or has any questions at all, please call Jason at Riley Ecom at 562-455-7154. Tell him that Todd Fox sent you. Once again, that's 562-455-7154. Because who can use some easy money right now and some extra money? I know I can. How about you? All right. So, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I love that approach. I think that that's great. And, you know, even if you're just making contact, at least you're making contact and you're giving your guys a chance, right? The looking yeah. at strike three is angering, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it drives me crazy. Like I managed an independent team um, during COVID. So we only had 30 games, but um, there was times where we'd get bases loaded, nobody out. And we'd get, uh, you know, two guys striking out and the next guy popping up and I'm going, Oh my gosh. Like yeah. you get the, the thing that I think people don't think about, you know, some of the, um, some of the people in charge don't think about is you know like when you when you bunt or get it move a runner you now put more pressure on the defense um mm-hmm. you know you you've got more pressure on the pitcher to throw a strike not you know not a ball in the dirt the catcher doesn't want to call balls in the dirt a lot of times if you move a guy from second to third mm-hmm. or even from first to, to second um you know the outfielders got to make sure that you know they they could put a good throw in you know if you're taking the extra base you know, that puts more pressure on the outfield. You know, if you're hustling down the line, um, first to third, all sorts of stuff. Like, and, and when you're putting the ball in play, um, it, it always is putting more pressure on the defense. When you're striking yes. out and 50% of the time, the ball's not even put in play during the game. It's, it's boring and, and there's no pressure being put on, on anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I know we got to start wrapping up here soon. So um, I'll fast forward here on my questions. So uh, I'm sure you get this one all the time. So Felix Rodriguez is on the hill. You have a really, really, really long at bat. I'm assuming what was going through your head was kind of what you were telling us, trying to slow down the moment. You know, I'm sure with every breath, you were kind of resetting yourself. And you seemed, I just rewatched the entire at bat. And it's a pretty lengthy at bat. It was a great at bat. So... How often do you replay that moment in your mind? Is that something like when you think back to your career, I'm assuming that's probably the number one moment you think back to. Yeah, it's it's definitely the biggest moment in my career. And it, it's funny because, you know, my dad and I, uh, at my parents' house, we had two miles in the backyard. And like I told you, we'd, we'd hit tennis balls all the time. And then on the weekends, we'd go down to the fields and hit hard balls. And I also had stations in my basement when it got too cold and stuff. Um, but the way we'd end every every practice was it's three two two outs, bottom of nine, game seven of the World Series. You're down one run. You know what are you gonna do? And and I'd do that you know three or four times from the right side and three or four times from the left side. And my mom would say, "Do it for the ring, Scott." You know, and <laughs> and so I was always preparing myself for that for that moment. 
And then for it to come up, of course, not in game game uh, seven, not exactly like, you know, like I said, where you're down one run, but, you know, it was, it was game six, we're down five. It looked bleak, you know, elimination, five, nothing, uh, one out in the seventh. And, and, uh, you know, I, I knew I had success off Russell T's. Um, he had done well that way, but I felt like I had been seeing him that whole, that whole time. I, I think I hit a hard one to first at one point, And I think both times before that I got, I think I saw, I think I got the three, two counts in both times. So I thought that I had a really good shot of hitting him hard. And I know the first time, the first game we faced him, we did well off him and I did well off him. Um, and then when they, I thought for sure they were going to bring in a lefty. I thought they'd bring in that like Zerby or whatever, but uh, they, they ended up bringing in Felix and, you know, I could see why I don't think I had any success off him, or at least I don't remember having success off him, but I, I do remember, um, uh, you know, uh, Dusty Baker going out there and then calling Russ Ortiz back and giving him the game ball. And that, that made me mad. Like it, it, Felt, I felt like, you know, these guys thought it was over. And, and even before that, in the top of the seventh, um, well, you know, Jeff Kent had got like a, you know, kind of a, a blind drive blooper hit that drove in the fifth run. And he and I was playing first, and he like looked at the dugout and like pumped his fist like, you know, yeah, that's, you know, we got it now. And so that pissed me off. And then when he gave him the game ball, it pissed me off. And and I, I, all I said is, okay, you know, I knew we had the rally monkey <laughs> and I knew that this team, you know, yeah. And I knew that if I could get one run across the board that this could avalanche because we, we came back, I don't know, 40 something times that year and uh, many times in the seventh inning or, or later. And so my whole approach was just try to get something over the plate and, you know, drive it in the gap and, uh, you know, he came in throwing hard. He was throwing 96 up and away. You know, I, I think on today's gun, that would probably read about 99. You know, I think that some of these guns, the guns are, I think, faster than they used to be because I know Randy Johnson was, was throwing harder than a lot of these guys today. <laughs> um, but anyway, he was throwing the hard high and away, and I, I was putting some good swings on it. I was down one and two right away. Um, each time I kept getting out of the box and going through my routine to reset, like you said, you know, I was, I was twirling my bat, wiping it, um, you know, deleting any negative thoughts. And then when I'd get back in hit the plate and it hit my bat, that was just me and the, and the ball again. And uh, I didn't hear the crowd and I just kept battling, battling. And, and I kept actually, what's crazy is I, I think differently than a lot of hitters when I get two strikes, I always feel like I'm quick enough to get to any pitch, even if it's high and inside, I can get to it because I have a short uh, swing where I keep the barrel above my hands. I, I don't swing up. Um, you know, of course, unless it's a low inside pitch, then you, ha you pretty much have to. But um, so when I got two strikes, a lot of times I would sit off speed up and react to anything else. And um, so once I got one and two, so for, pretty much for the majority of that bat, I was sitting either change up or slider up. And he kept throwing fastball high and away. And, and then all of a sudden he threw one down and in, and I just basically dropped my head on it. And I knew I hit it on the barrel, but I knew I hit it high. And uh, 
you know, those guys would always make fun of me, you know, Garrett Anderson and Gloss and those guys, they'd call me first row Stezio. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd always say, well, you guys are wasting your energy. You know, you don't need to hit it 30 rows up. Just hit it. It's the same. It counts the same. So I hit it. And most of my home runs were like accidental, you know, doubles that just carried into the, you know, into the seats. So well, that one was high and dramatic. And it really did feel like everything was in slow motion. And I remember like, kind of like, you know, running in slow motion and looking up and saying, go, you know, go, go. And like literally praying to God and saying, God, come on, push it out. And then like seeing uh, Gene Autry's number 26 blow up uh, Jersey out there and right and saying, okay, Gene, you know, cowboy, push it out too. You know, I know you're <laughs> up there. And, and uh, I got like the first and I was looking and I saw Reggie Sanders hit the wall and then, it you know it went behind him and it was just like I I was like the first time and the only time in my career I I pumped my fist and uh it, you know nothing like today you know shoot today people would have ripped their jersey off and you know threw their bat <laughs> 50 feet in the air and yep. you know done a dance but I was always taught you know put your head down like Paul O'Neill used to do and act like you've done it before you know and and so that was kind of uncharacteristic for me to pump, but it was just a little pump. And then I just, it was like, I heard this huge roar. It was like the, the loudest noise I'd ever heard in my life. It almost scared me a little bit. Like, holy cow, there's people here. And, and, uh, and then just, a, I felt like I was four feet off the ground running around the bases and I could just feel the excitement, the momentum totally changed in the park. Um, you know, I got the home plate. I saw uh, Gloss and Fulmer. I, I gave them, you know, a big high five and, and went in the, the dugout and you see Earthstead and you see Mickey Hatcher and everybody's going nuts. And, and I knew that that was what we needed right there. And I, I could just see it in everybody's eyes like we were going to win. I just had this, I just knew it. We were going to win. And, and so I kind of pumped everybody up. And then if you ever watch the whole thing, you see me go sit by myself kind of afterwards. And I close my eyes and I start doing those deep breaths and trying to settle myself down because now it's five three, and I realize that, you know, that my next at bat might be even bigger. So I I I calm myself. I slow my heart rate down and I visualize um, the contact of that again so that I was prepared for for my next at bat. And you know, the great thing was is I they didn't need me to do anything. <laughs> my next at bat it was it was six to five, and uh, they intentionally walked me. And uh, of course, then Percival came and shut him down. And so um, it was just uh, just one of those amazing moments that, you, you know, you think, but you do think back to your childhood and those times with my dad and my mom in the backyard and, and all the preparation, it all comes down to that. And then, you know, game seven comes and Ersty makes the final out on Lofton's ball. And, and like my dad always told me, once once that happens, nobody can ever take that away from you. That that banner will fly forever in, in Anaheim. And, you know, anytime you go there, you feel that pride of that team. And, boy, seeing those guys, you know, in, in for the reunion, you pick up just where you left off. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing bond that, you know, we'll, we'll have forever with, with the city, with the fans, and with my teammates and coaches. I know it's just – is this an amazing experience? I, I got to tell you, Scott, that, you know, everything you just said is just giving me goosebumps because every, like, 
yeah, like all, all of us fans remember that day or remember the series, remember that team. And we all have our stories to tell where we were when you hit that big home run, where the team was when Erst or when, where you were when Erstad made the catch on the final out, the final call. But for me, yeah. I'll just tell you real quick, man. I was sitting on my couch with my dad. We were bummed out. It was five nothing. And my dad was like, you know, I've watched this team my whole life, but to see them to get there to the World Series, I'm proud of them. He was kind of, you know, conceding defeat a little bit. And, yeah. and, and when you hit that ball, it seemed to be up there forever. I got off the yeah. couch and I slid across my my floor, my living room floor on my knees. You know, I was sliding close <laughs> to the TV. And, and by the time I got to the TV, the ball went over the fence and I went nuts. Me and my dad were hugging. It's one of those memories that, oh. like, you have the memories. I, nobody can take that away from us. That was euphoric that's, for me. That's so cool. Yeah, that's the great thing about it, you know, is that it, and people are always like, well, you know, it didn't, it didn't win the game. But what it did is it, it was a very high and dramatic and, like, slow motion moment where everybody was just – it was like the whole place was silent on both sides. And it, you were just like, it was so suspenseful. And then when it went over, it was just like this explosion, you know, that, you know, we can do this. And, and, and like, you, like you just told me that story, I've heard so many different stories, you know, from people that, you know, were, were from my hometown and might have been in Nebraska for work. And they're the only Angels fan in the place. Or, you know, some people that told me that they were in San Francisco and people were already selling merchandise with 2002 <laughs> world champs on it and and uh and then you know i'd go to vegas i went to vegas with my parents that uh that off season and and all these like people that worked at the hotels were either like you won me money you won me so much money or super pissed you know another memory i got of you scott is when at the parade, we were about a few rows from the front, and I had my daughter on my on my shoulders, and you came jumping Ooh. off the the uh, the stage yeah. doing the air guitar. And I was like, yes, that is a badass the air guitar. That was so badass. I loved you for that. I was like, that's my boy right there. You know, I think about that all the time, and I think about man, what if I would have like fell down <laughs> and ended oh up into the crowd. <laughs> But it was just kind of a spur of the moment. It was a spur of the moment thing. That was a really cool uh, event, man. I, I love that. And, you know, the whole parade, I had uh, picks, world, 2002 World Championship picks made with my signature on one side and, you know, world, Angels World Champs on the other side. And I was throwing them out and stuff. And then I, I did that. And then I got up there and I was like, what am I going to say? And, it, and it's funny because uh, – I got up there and I said, you know, I heard that there's a lot of kids that are, you know, missing school for this, you know, so we're going to have, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said, so we're going to have a little, you know, spelling lesson here, so, you know, repeat after, or uh, say it after me, R-E-P, uh, R-E-P-E-A-T, and when I was spelling it, like, I started thinking, crap, do I know how to spell this word? <laughs> it's like, I'm thinking R-E-P, and then I started thinking, how do you finish it? You know, it didn't, that's what like <laughs> went in my head, but it actually came out smooth. Like most, most people probably never caught it, but I started spelling it before I even thought about it and it, it came out right. But, and then I started chanting repeat, repeat, repeat and uh, got the chance, 
you know, the champ's going, but it was a funny moment that, you know, only people that were inside afterwards knew about. Now I just told everybody, but um, yeah, it was, that was an awesome moment and, and stuff I'll never forget, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, 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 I run into people that, you know, even uh, a couple of the guys during the, the 20 year reunion, um, like on the Angels team, were like, oh yeah, I'm from Southern California, man. I was rooting you on. I can't remember if it was Duffy or or somebody like that. And I know Fletcher said that his dad used to to um, like me and stuff. And I'm like, well, that's cool because I really love, enjoy watching you, man. Keep up the good work. So it's wow. kind of cool to see, you know, some of the, the the kids that you know were probably you know nine, ten years old, twelve years old, all of a sudden you know playing in the majors and we're fans of that team. It's, it's crazy. Cause you, you know, I'm turning 50, uh, September 21st and I still feel like I'm 25. And so it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, you know, my kids that was born, my, my middle son, Cody, he was born uh, May 23rd of 2002, you know, and now he's, he's 20 years old. It's, it's crazy. Life comes at you fast. It does, man. It goes quick. <laughs> it goes quick. So you got to enjoy it, you know, don't get too crazy and, and enjoy it and make sure you got the right, your right priorities for, I, I, I always call it, I always say that I had a 10 year detour uh, where I got a little too crazy and my priorities got out of line, but now I'm, I'm back in line with God first and family and true friends, you know, and, um, and I'm much happier that way. Good. Happy to hear it. Uh, so last question I have for you, I don't know about the other guys, but uh, I know we're going to start wrapping up here. Uh, so how was the World Series run for you in 2006? What was similar to the O2 team that you experienced with the Cardinals? And last, Albert Pujols, you know, back in 2006 was one of the absolute best players I've ever seen in my lifetime. Prime Pujols was amazing. The nickname, The Machine, is pretty fitting for him, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, remind me to talk about Pujols. So as far as the 2006 team, um, you know, it was it was almost like it's crazy because like the Angels, everybody says, well, which one was better means more. And it's impossible to say because it's almost like two separate lives for me. You know, like the, the Angels was incredibly special like uh, there's guys that I absolutely love on that team you know I was fortunate enough to you know to play with Eckstein again in the 2006 team and he was a huge part of both teams um, but you know here I went from being released and thinking my career was over to being invited as a minor league invitee to spring training um, thinking I was going to get you know number 78 and they put in number 26 which was my dad's number in my locker um i ended up having a great spring training made the team and then you know even though i didn't play every day i still ended up i think with uh, 13 14 home runs you know my i think that was the highest ops i ever had in my career um you know 50 rbis 50 plus rbis and um hitting 270 and played a lot of different positions and you know, I ended up uh, <clears throat> that year um, just a great bunch of guys. I got to watch, you know, Pujols, who, who was the machine, and I'll get more into him after that, you know, after, after I finish with this. But, um, you know, we, we really 
uh, we kind of played very similar to the Angels team. We were unselfish team. Um, everybody did their job well. It didn't matter where Tony uh, put us. You know, nobody complained. Um, it was just a bunch of bulldogs on that team, similar to the Angels. Um, you know, we had, we, we, of course, we, I think we had more like superstars on that team, but there was a lot of unsung heroes and, and everybody played a big part, you know, from Chris Duncan to Sotaguchi. I mean, there was, there was all sorts of names that, you know, nobody ever heard of before all of a sudden became household names. And, you know, I ended up having a huge uh, pinch hit triple second to last game that we were down, bases loaded down. Uh, two runs against the Brewers and we had lost like seven in a row and Houston was on fire and um, he put me up with two outs I got I was 0-2 right away took a pitch in it could have been a strike but he called it a ball I think it was it was it was a ball but he could have called it a strike and then the next pitch I hit a triple and scored three runs and we ended up winning 3-2 we lost the next day and Houston ended up losing to the Braves so we snuck in and uh, barely above 500 as a team, but we just put it together when it counted. And uh, you know, I had some some big hits in Game Two of of the NLCS against the Mets, and Game Three, and um, ended up I think with six RBIs in, in the playoffs, and didn't play every day. But it was it was awesome to be a part of. And the cool thing about that was, you know, growing up as a kid, knowing that my dad was on the Cardinals from 64 through 68, um, won two World Series with the Cardinals. Uh, he always told me in 68, they should have beat the Tigers. And, uh, you know, Lou Brock didn't slide in game five, but he was safe, but they called him out. Um, and then Kurt Flood, you know, uh, slipped on a ball that was hit to center field. It went over his head and they ended up losing game seven because of it. And so I always remembered that. And after we won, uh, game, game seven in, in New York against the Mets, I told Jim Edmonds that story. He goes, all right, let's win this one for Eddie, you know, and here we are playing the, the Tigers. And, uh, you know, here come, come to find out, you know, how it turned out was, was uh, David Eckstein hit a ball to center field and not Kurt Flood, but Kurt, Curtis Granderson slipped and the ball sailed over his head that normally he would have caught. And we ended up that drove in the winning run and, and uh, you know, Exxon ended up uh, being the World Series MVP and we, we beat the Tigers, the team my dad lost to. So it was a special moment. You know, my dad had always brought me down to, to um, old timers games down there, you know, to celebrate his championship team. And so you know, anytime I saw the arch, I kind of got, you know, a great feeling. And so to be a part of it in, in 2006, when they, the first year that they opened Bush Stadium with the arch basically in right center field every day um, was a special, a special year for me. And, and what was really cool is in 2007, um, I didn't even know they were doing it. Uh, you know, they were giving us our rings on the second game and, you know, they're, they had Tony out there and the owner and, uh, you know, Walt Jockety and, and they were presenting the rings to everybody. And then they said, and for this guy, we have a special presentator and they said for the first time in major league history, uh, father's son has won the world series with the same organization and also won two world series apiece. So our special presentator from the 1964, 67 and 68 
uh, National League champions and world champions, uh, Ed Spezio, and he's wearing his old 26 jersey. And, and I look back wow. and I'm balling. And, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm balling. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think on YouTube, there's some little tidbits of it. I've, I've got a better copy of it. I should upload it to it. But yeah, it was one of those just special moments to give you chills. I think there was 46,000 plus crying that day. And, uh, you know, it, it, it made it very special. And then, and then you, you were talking about Pujols and Pujols, I think, you know, I played with McGuire and I played against Bonds and, you know, and I think McGuire was one of the best hitters that I saw. And I know both of those guys had, you know, uh, help, you know, in ways, but I still think <laughs> they were probably, yeah, I still think that they were two of the best hitters all around. Um, you know, Griffey, another one, but Pujols just like when you talk about, about the machine, I never saw somebody work so hard at hitting off the tee every day. He was always there early hitting just swing after swing, just perfect swing, you know, balls away, balls in balls down the middle, balls high, um, short, powerful swing, um, just so consistent and, and always so clutch whenever there's pressure on like it seems like he just turns it on even higher he has another gear that a lot of people don't have and I think he just hit one today so he's he's two away from a rod um, he's hit home runs off 450 different pitches which is the new record I mean that's unbelievable but whenever I give lessons I always talk about pools I, I say he's probably one of you know the three best right-handed hitters in the history of the game with Hank Aaron and Willie Mays um, and, and probably the two best sec, uh, first basemen's ever between him and Lou Gehrig. And as far as categories, I mean, he's one of the most consistent um, uh, players, and he's going to be top five in just about every category. You know, extra base hits, he's second now. I think total bases, he, he's up there. Games played, hits, um, uh, yeah, RBI, you name it, home runs. He's, he'll be passing A-Rod here pretty soon. So, uh I, I always talk about him, even with 22 years under his belt, you know, he's still in the cage every day hitting off the tee. And, and that's why he, they call him the machine, because his swing is perfect. I've watched him uh, take batting practice, and, uh, man, it's a sight to see. You know, you're not going to go to batting practice and see Pujols hit 600-foot bombs and hit them out of the stadium. But what you will see is just consistency. He's got he's always had such a sweet stroke to his swing. And I remember just watching him. He would hit it to almost the exact spot in left field, the exact same spot. Like he would pick a spot and seemingly mm -hmm. all every ball would land in that same area. And then he would do it a center and he would do it a right. And, you know, there yep. would just be a pile of like 10 balls to the exact spot he wanted to hit it to. You know, it was almost like yep. right to where the fielder was. I don't know if maybe he was practicing sacrifice flies because, like you said, he's such a polished hitter that he understands the approach to the game. He's not trying to hit it out of the stadium. What he's trying to do is hit a sack fly and at least score the runner from third or at least advance the runners. You know, that's just kind of the batter he always was. So, yeah, he's, he was definitely fun to watch in batting practice. Yeah, I think – Probably what he was figuring is he's hitting it to all fields. He's letting the ball travel on, on the away pitches. And, you know, that's off a guy throwing 50 miles an hour. So if a guy's throwing, you know, 95 and 90 or above, 
those balls won't be to the outfield. They'll be in the seat. So he's, he's probably figuring I'm going to take my swings and, and drive them to all parts of the field. And once the pitcher comes in, he'll supply the rest of the power and those balls will be gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. Swilly, Todd, do you guys have anything to close off? No? I mean, yeah, for sure. I'm, um, I'm actually <laughs> curious. <laughs> I'm curious. So I, um, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, hitting and your approach at the play and using your bat as kind of like your delete cue and your mental game and stuff. I'm curious, what type of bat did you like to swing? Did you like a heavier bat? Did you like a, a longer bat? What, what, what was your lumber of choice? That's a good question. Uh, it's pretty interesting too. So um, my whole career, I'd say from double A, my, my agent started buying me bats. Uh, so I didn't have to use pro stock bats anymore. So I, Jason Giambi, um, he was using a T141. And so my dad was always, when I was in college, I think I used the 3431, um, like gold Eastern bat. And so that's what I wanted to use. But my dad was always pressuring me to use heavier bats. And then when I got to the, the Angels, too, that like there was a lot of guys that liked using heavier bats, like Garrett Anderson and Gloss and Mo Vaughn and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I remember double A, I kind of compromised and I said, okay, I'm going to get 34, 33, T141. You know, no cup, um, kind of balanced, but I'd say mm -hmm. more end loaded, but skinnier handle. Um, you know, not a huge barrel, like a C243 or something like that, but, um, and then not a, like a teeny little skinny handle, like an M159 or anything. Um, so my whole career, pretty much, I used the 3433 T141. Most of the time it was black. Um, there was some times where I'd mix it up a little bit, but it, in 2002, um, I started getting tired towards the end of the year. <laughs> so I remember Sean Figgins came up and uh, he was using this little M3431 uh, M159 mm -hmm. and I borrowed it in BP and I felt like, man, I could swing this really effortlessly. So what I did was I, I started using it and I was doing really well with it. So when the playoffs came around, I ordered some, I ordered some, I think I ordered like six, a half dozen, uh, 3431 M159. And that's what I used in the playoffs. And oh, wow. so, yeah, when I hit that ball, you know, in game six, the only thing that I thought was, you know, like I think with the, T, with the T141, 3433, it's possible I might've been a little too late on it. I don't know, but <laughs> I knew with that bat, like maybe it wasn't enough but I knew I hit it on the barrel. So that's why I kind of was like, you know, praying more like, man, I'm not sure about this one. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of interesting that you asked me that because um, yeah, that's, it, it was a different bat that I wasn't used to, but I'd tell you what, it, it made me feel like I could wait longer and that I was really short and quick. Um, but, you know, after that, I very rarely used anything but the T141 
That's amazing. Honestly, I give you props for making a change so late in the season. I I think that's awesome. I mean, you know, you obviously trust your skill and ability and stuff. And two ounces might not seem like a lot, but I bet after a while, you know, it's like swinging with the bat with the weighted bat rings and you take them off and it's like, oh, this thing feels like a toothpick. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely helped me and it, and it ended up working. So, yeah. you know, if it wasn't working, I probably would have switched back, but sure. I was going to play it, play that hot bat and it, it kept working. Yeah, there you go. And the end load bats are fun too. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's weird comparing balance and end loaded, but if you can swing an, swing an end loaded bat, it feels like you have so yeah. much more power behind it. I agree. Yeah. I definitely agree. Hey, Scott, last thing for me, I really just want to say thank you so much for coming on and giving uh, the Angels a blast from the past because we really enjoyed, we were there at the uh, 20th year anniversary game and we really enjoyed the fact, you know, Fiziak was there, Hudler, there was so much nostalgia that was going around that stadium that night and all the new fans getting to see the video, uh, the videos, you know, there was a lot, new generation, you know, but yeah. um but just want to thank you for all your memories. And one thing we've been getting a lot on our podcast is, you know, maybe with a managerial change in the future, some of our fans have been wanting us to, to, to or ask us for our opinions, but let's just go straight to the source. They, they want to know if one day the angels put together a coaching staff with some of these 2002 players, would you join? Oh, I'd love to. Heck yeah. I'd jump at that. <laughs> Absolutely. Ready here first. And- Sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would you be the hitting instructor? Because from what we've heard, you sound very knowledgeable. <laughs> I'd do whatever they want me to do. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy anything. I'd enjoy any, any role. Um, yeah. It would be it would be awesome to get back out there. Okay. Who's your agent and who we have to call? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Give us a name. <laughs> I don't have an agent, but anymore i but my old agent would probably handle stuff for me i mean i i could probably handle it myself i'd probably just hire a lawyer basically to look at stuff but yeah i think it would be it would be awesome you know i'm not uh i I'd, I'd, I'd love to get back in the game at some point and and uh you know really help i think there's a need for for some experience back in the game and and to really talk about you know um fundamentals um and and kind of getting you know back to an approach that might be more team oriented you know i know with agents they kind of got a lot of guys thinking individual but i'd I'd say the most fun that i ever had wasn't when i had you know maybe my best years but it was when the teams won you know and so that's what it's all about did uh I guess the last quick thing I have is: Did Disney give you guys free tickets when you when they owned the team? They did, yeah. Okay. So my kids, that's, good. that's awesome. My two, my yeah, my two boys, we were there all the time. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> I did the, uh, uh, yeah. There was a lot of times I went like, and everybody that came in, my family, they wanted to go, so it was like. We were always going and, you know, I'd, I'd go there for half a day and then go straight from there to the park, you know, and sometimes I'd be tired because, you know, you're waiting in lines and it's hot and stuff, but I always really enjoyed it. And, and uh, I remember doing the top 10 uh, list for Letterman the day after we won. And it was like the top 10 
things overheard in the, in the Giants clubhouse, you know, and it was like, it was a cool honor for me because I always loved David Letterman and I always wanted to do the top 10 list. And when I think it was Tim Mead or Matt Bennett came up to me afterwards and said, Hey, Letterman wants to do the top 10 list. I'm like, well, who else is going to be there? And they said, just you. And I'm like, wow. Wow. That's, that's awesome. amazing. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I did it on the field and he's like, he's talking to, and it's hilarious. Cause he's like, um, I just watched it like a month ago because I was going to try to put it, it's on a VHS tape. I was going to try to figure out how to make it up, put it on my computer and maybe put it on YouTube or something. But he's like, so all the way from the California angels or the Anaheim angels or the Los Angeles angels or whatever <laughs> the heck they're called, you know, oh and I'm thinking, boy, he was really thinking about the future because, you know, it ends yeah, up being right. the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, you know, and uh, he's like, so what's it like out there, you know, with, with all that traffic and stuff? And I said, and it just, it just like popped in my head. I said, well, the good thing about being owned by Disney is that they provide a monorail for us to, to ride around wherever we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> he started dying. <laughs> he started dying laughing and stuff. And you know, it was, it was a pretty funny moment. And, it's something I'll never forget. And then I jumped in a limo and went to do the Leno show that night with uh, Percival, Lackey, Eckstein, and Salmon, oh, I think. Fun, were. Yeah. So it was pretty neat. Man, rock yeah, star see? life for sure after you won. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was sure. crazy. Yeah, you sure did. You were the rock star with that rock star goatee and the, the red hair, too. Yeah, the red hair. <laughs> red goatee. There you go. That's right. Yeah, I had red streaks in my hair. Exactly. And my and the middle of my goatee. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of that's that's what kind of spurred me into doing it in St. Louis. Even though I didn't have the goatee, I had uh, the little uh, soul patch. And like after my agent called and said, "Okay, you're going," I went straight to my the the girl that cut my hair, and I said, "All right, can you?" Um, you know, dye my hair, and I said, while you're at it, can you dye this, you know, uh, bleach it, and then dye it red, and, and she's like, really? And I said, yeah, let's do it, and so it, it caught on, and down there, and I painted it every day, you know, and it was, I called it my war paint, and it, it got huge, they were selling them stick-on ones, you'd see 70-year-old grandmothers wearing them, you know, oh, that's <laughs> they had shirts, <laughs> Yeah. I, I need a photo. Yeah. I need a photo. <laughs> oh yeah, they're, they're they're floating around. Yeah, it, I should have put up like a copyright on there or something and started selling them. But it was it was awesome. Yeah, and it, it all kind of stems. I remember back from like August of 2002 when it was like paint the town red day and, and Oakland was coming into town and I went out and and dyed my hair you know streaks of my hair red and that middle of my goatee red and. I got really hot, and any time that my my little red streak in my goatee started, you know, fading, Mickey Hatcher would take a red sharpie and, and start filling it in for me. He's like, "You gotta keep you hot. You gotta keep you hot." <laughs> so that was pretty fun. That's, that's absolutely awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, I'll it. run into you when I go to uh, Joliet. I know you're not in Joliet, but you're close. So maybe I'll run into you there on the at the mall or something. <laughs> Sounds good. You guys, thanks for having me. It was it was a blast. And uh 
hopefully we get this Angels, you know, team turned around and and back on track to win some more championships. That's right. Well, when I like you the sound t- of that. When you take over as the hitting coach, that'll for sure happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Teach those, teach those kids not to strike out and put the barrel on the ball, man. That's what you got to do. Yeah. I don't know if Trout and Otani is going to listen to me. I think they're doing <laughs> fine. But, uh, you know, they, they've they got a lot of really good players, and, and I enjoy – I still enjoy watching them. I know that they'll turn it around. And, you know, if, if they ever invite me to, to come out there and be a part of it, I'd, I'd love to. You guys could be my agent. How about that? Uh, perfect. <laughs> For sure, I man. love it. Perfect. We'll, we'll get to well, that pizza, man. Enjoy it. <laughs> All right. I will, guys. Have a great night. You too. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms if you don't already. And also make sure to give us a review if you're listening to this on audio. We really enjoy the feedback. Make sure to check out the merchandise store. Randy does a great job over there. Simply type in Halos in the field on Redbubble. Viva Los Angelitos. Have a great day, everybody.